Lauren. I'm Tia. And this is the Journey to Transformation. Welcome. Welcome back. And welcome to our special guest. Whoa, it's a spaceship. Yes. What is it? This is our new uh, virtual reality camera. Uh, for our consultancy work, we are starting to do different types of storytelling, which includes virtual reality storytelling as a way of communicating lessons from evaluations, as a way from hearing directly from the people. How cool or shit you are. And so we thought we'd bring it into the van so it's, that the podcast listeners can see us. It's very cool looking. Yeah. And so people can come into the van with us, check it out, look around. Exactly. Basically be sitting next to us. Yeah. It's like in the fridge, seat. grab a beer. <laughs> <laughs> Join in. Stuff like that. So if you're watching this, hello. Hi. If you're not in virtual reality, Hello. Hello. And you will see that we are wearing our merch. Yes, our um, super sexy merch. Yeah. Got our my t-shirt and Tia's got a jumper on. Bleeding heart level do good since 2021. That's right. So check us out at jrnypodcast.com where you can see the merch. And for the next year or so, a year, nearly a year, proceeds from all sales of our merch are going to our charities because we are running in the London Marathon. Lauren, who are you running for? Wow. Um, I'm running for Cardiomyopathy UK. Uh, they're a charity that supports people who have cardiomyopathy, which is a heart disease and means that your heart functions at less capacity. My mum has this disease and they helped us out some years ago. Who are you running for? I'm running for the Make-A-Wish Foundation UK and they make wishes come true for people with chronic illnesses. So check it out. This merch is hot. Yay. Yay. And if you want to see this video in virtual reality, check it out on YouTube. We'll put some links to the show notes. And let us know what you think. Yes. Let us know what you're seeing around the van. Yes. <laughs> you want to like hide some things in the van and see if people could spot yeah. it. I'm going to hide some things. Next time I'll ask you what you saw. We'll do a quiz. <laughs> Jake. The, uh, the fun thing as well about the video is that it's unedited. So you get to hear and see all the bullshit that we cut out of the actual episode. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. there's that. Ah, fun. Cool. Yeah, right. Uh, yes. So love letters this week. Uh, this is um, our new segment. Love letters. Oh, not that one. <laughs> the letters are always intense. <laughs> da, 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 da. Um, so I'm going to read an email from, and I'm not reading out people's names because, you know, they just had a comment about our conversation on values and they said that they thought it came across really strong and they had a huge appreciation for how hard it is to stand by your values. I think they, they're they a consultant as well. They also just said it's really hard when you work for big organizations to stand up for your values, especially if you're sort of one voice. We and should I, probably say, stop saying standing for our values though. That's ableist language. Yes, you're absolutely right. (laughs) Um, So we are... Not to shame the writer, but we're all growing and learning. Uh, But we are what for our values? In solidarity. (laughs) We are in solidarity with our values. (laughs) No, that's what it said in the Oxfam Inclusive Language Guide. Like, don't say standing in solidarity. Oh. I don't know what you are with your values. So we are centering, featuring... No. Demonstrating? Demonstrating our values. That, sure. Oh, God. Stop saying that. Yeah. <laughs> Don't say God. I know. <laughs> <laughs> that just like, I, I just completely just digress. Yeah. <laughs> Oxfam's going to get you. <laughs> 
so thank you very much for writing in and we will continue to talk about our values because they feature in all of our actions all of our work we do appreciate how hard it is to demonstrate your values and speak about them in in big organizations where people have varying views about what it means to demonstrate your values sure i don't think we can be like our values exist in everything that we do right we want our values to exist in everything that we do they don't always they don't always appear and we have to often challenge each other on yes. where we see them where we don't see them we need to be really aware of how hard it is because there are trade-offs that sometimes you have to make if you're really values aligned sometimes you have to make really fucking hard trade-offs that mean you bear a consequence yeah i think that's a really great point so whilst you try there will always be a lot of like bumps and trade-offs and trying to balance it yeah we just make it look easy Mm -hmm. (laughs) i mean we do talk a lot about the challenges so thank you very much for for that comment that's a nice one if you want to leave us a love letter send it to jrunwaypodcast at gmail.com we'd love to hear from you i wonder if we should call it something else other than love letter like transform letter or journey letter or just a letter Uh, So we're talking about this week, the Nexus, which sounds really pretentious, but the Humanitarian Development and Peace Nexus, or sometimes called the Triple Nexus. And if you're lazy and you're just doing two, the Double Nexus. (laughs) (laughs) What happens if you're only doing one? It's not a Nexus. (laughs) So the Nexus is an approach focusing on the synergies between humanitarian development and peace. And the reason we're talking about it is because we often refer to it in our conversations. It's a... Also, people pay us money. People pay us money to talk about the nexus. And it's like a sector-wide drive towards bringing everything together. And if like you're not totally into the sector or you're, you're listening to us from somewhere else, what has often happened in the past is humanitarian work has been that emergency response food water shelter responding to people's immediate needs development longer term programming perhaps supporting people with their livelihoods or education for example schools microfinance and then peace has tended to be looking more at social cohesion the issues or addressing root causes with conflict that kind of thing and so people have tended to operate in these silos and so the nexus or triple nexus is an attempt to bring these together align the way that people work the language that you use to describe the nexus i completely fundamentally unreservedly disagree with okay i don't really agree with this idea of bringing them together I think about them as collapsing these concepts entirely. Yes, I agree with you. Okay. Yeah. I mean, these are, these are like broader definitions around like how people have defined it by the OECD, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. Well, I don't agree with you. Um, And Oxfam, World Vision, other people, the way they're looking at Nexus. But I agree with you. I think the Nexus doesn't need to be called the triple Nexus. And I think... The terms humanitarian development peace should be gone. Go to the. I have written this exact point. I think that those three terms should just be gone completely because I feel that those they are exactly why those silos exist. Hang on, hang on. Do you hear that? The wind. No, no. Do you hear that? No. It's the sound of us agreeing. (laughs) (laughs) This is how people generally have understood the nexus, and, and I think. It, as we are in agreement, that in of itself is creating 
re-creating silos. Whereas I think the, the idea of Nexus should ultimately be you are addressing people's needs regardless of what it is yes. and preventing ultimately this. So I think one of the reasons that, that the sector started moving towards this terminology of the idea of Nexus is because of protracted crisis and the reality that people are living in crisis after crisis after crisis and how can we address the root causes of that so this cycle doesn't continue? In addition to climate change, which has kind of entered into this conversation around conflict and climate change, also being a part of this nexus conversation. So this is the drive toward this greater alignment and harmonization. And it's not really a new concept, though, is it? Like you often say that this isn't something new. It's civil society organizations or community-based organizations or community-led organizations have been doing similar things to this where they're just responding to what people need. Yeah. Right. It's more responsive, it's more agile, and it's more, um, I would say it's more human-centered. Sometimes people call it adaptive programming or adapt because you're adapting your programming based on what's happening. So it's this idea that you're just shifting thing around based on what is needed at the time. And also acknowledging that you might not be the right person to do that shift. Well, I'm still talking about adaptive yeah, programming. Sorry, yeah. But when we when we think about nexus programming it's it's that adaptive piece but also a collective piece so there's some key features in nexus programming or key characteristics that i think are a bit different from adaptive programming yes i think that's a really good point because nexus is not just about programming actually like there are four components and so you know the first one looking at planning and analysis and bringing people together around that who has information? How can we bring people's information together? Bringing together the right stakeholders for that shared vision. And then you've got the programming, which is dismantling those silos, looking at immediate needs, tackling the root causes and long-term transformative change as kind of a target. And then you've got the leadership and coordination bit, which is strengthening that sharing of information, who's leading what, knowledge is where, collaboration opportunities, more of a structural piece. And then you've got the financing bit, which is obviously one of the systemic issues in our sector in terms of who holds that money and how they dictate how it's spent. So financing and resources and nexuses more joined up, more flexible, because those humanitarian development and peace silos often exist within the channels of funding mechanisms. And so creating that joined up and flexible multi-annual financing. So donors often have dictated that, you know, humanitarian development and peace funding is in silos and therefore that then reflects in terms of how it's delivered. So promoting and, and lobbying people for more joined up and flexible financing. These four categories are a little bit where Nexus broadly situates itself and we often talk about programming but it's a bit bigger than that i think about the triple nexus as having the potential to be really fucking transformative if people would actually do it it's pulling everything together it really breaks out of this scarcity mindset if people can take it and stand the discomfort we're saying no more humanitarian development and peace building no none of that you're just programming now but you're not just programming you're programming with everybody else in one massive pool of stuff you're sharing things nothing is yours it is all part of this collective egalitarian system of operating so that you're creating a massive fucking net for people whatever they need one of you motherfuckers has it and whoever's got it everybody else is going to shift information whatever to help advance that piece it's really fucking transformative 
But people cannot cope with this idea of what is the first thing everybody wants when they talk to us? We want to know what our added value is. Yeah, exactly. And and I think that this is a really nice segue into how people are actually doing it. We're seeing almost a replication of everything that's happened before and how people are approaching the Nexus. And actually, I did a quick Google search for Nexus. Me and Tia actually created some guidelines for Trocare, Hot Plug. Go and check them out. I'll put them in the show notes. And so we've done a lot of research on this already, but I did a quick like, you know, what's updated. And I found an article. It was some years ago now by Care and it was called Doing the Nexus Differently. <laughs> and I lulled. I laughed because I was just like, oh God, that is just like so ironic. Completely defeats the point of it. This is how we are doing the Nexus differently. Yes. I mean, how many times have we heard that? Like this is our approach to the Nexus. Yes. No, no, no. It's not about your approach. It's about how everybody's going to do this. Right. Like one of the things around Nexus work is collective outcomes. And what you said is like, you've got this shared vision. You need to share your fucking vision. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you can't, you can't get, you have to get out of this idea of this is mine, 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 mine. Yeah. Because there is no mine. There is only theirs. And by theirs, I mean, wherever you're fucking working, it's theirs. You're there for them. hundred percent. And so every organization that we've worked on the Nexus with and our past experience, people have approached this, are approaching it kind of differently. One of the tensions I think we're finding is this, and this is quite a classic tension, is between principles, a set of behaviors and the need for something operational. And I think that in any framework that comes up in the sector, people are like, okay, great, here's the behaviors, but now how do I do it? And so, you know, there's that kind of interlocking piece. And so most organizations that we're working with or that, you know, we've come across on, online or whatever are now saying, well, what does it mean to us? How yeah. are we doing it differently? And defining it and the value add, as you have said. Yeah. And so they're then creating like, what's the word? Papers, you know, like, you know, white papers or, or whatever to say, like, this is where we stand on this. Yeah. So this is kind of like obsession with defining it again right. and not together either, like as an organization. And because a lot of organizations are so big, they can't, it's almost like they can't afford to then go outside of themselves because they're already so big that like to, to do it internally is such a monster, but yeah. then to do it externally too probably takes up so much time and resources. Yes. Yeah. You know, you'd have to commit your whole ass organization to doing the nexus. Everything would have to reorient. And that's why I think it's so transformative because then you're getting rid of, you can still have specializations in areas of focus, but it's the financing part is kind of a key bit of this, right? Because it's now it, maybe it's not you. Like maybe you're not the one because if you're focused on whatever and actually what the community needs right now is this, then like you need to then shift whatever it is you want to do to either a place where it is that you need it or you need to be stepping back out of that space. Or there's just like so many different I can do a needs assessment where I can make a convincing argument that everybody needs everything. Right. I can make a really convincing argument for why you need better wash facilities in your fucking flat in South London. Anybody can make a convincing argument for, for whatever, but it's not necessarily the total picture, I think. Yeah. And so I think that that's what's, I think that that's what it requires is for organizations to almost like rip themselves in half. Yeah. Not in half, just rip themselves apart. 
spontaneously combust. Yeah, but the problem is then you've also got donors saying, I need to see how you're demonstrating the nexus. The donors are now saying, okay, we're now doing nexus. We need to see you, this organization that we're funding, doing it rather than themselves opening it and saying this is as a funder, how how we're going to deliver finances for Nexus. They're just passing the buck down and saying, you demonstrate how we do Nexus. Yeah. So we've completely missed the opportunity to go back and dismantle. What you almost need is for donors to give their monies, their monies <laughs> directly to communities. And then you almost need like a little shop, like a little Oxfam shop, a little care shop, a little whatever shop. And then communities can go and get whatever the services they want from those shops using their like donor bucks. Here's a bag of wash. <laughs> like what we need is this. So they go to their little Here's person. some social cohesion. It's chocolate flavor. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Like think about when you go to the airport and it's just got like the long kiosk of different car rental companies. Like mm. that's kind of what I'm picturing is just like communities being like, cool, I've got like, I've got my 50 uh, Dutch Ministry of Foreign Affairs bucks and I would like to please cash this in because we've got you know lights out on a street that's making it unsafe for our kids to walk home at night yeah you know yeah like if we give it to organizations who are like oh we want to keep getting this money and show you how fucking sexy we are then yeah they're going to continue to make these cases for why they alone have the nexus they alone can are doing the nexus of course they will because they want monies yeah exactly but if you go the other way and say okay what is that what is being offered and what do we need? Like, I think the supply demand structure needs to be changed a bit because like... I like that. I really like that. Yeah. You like yeah. That? Donor bucks? <laughs> <laughs> like, imagine a donor just says, I'm going to put like 70 million into this region or 70 million into this province. Yeah. Okay. And like distribute it however proportionally based on population size, whatever you want to do. And then you have your little like fucking kiosk with all the people. And then they say, okay, cool. Like we need somebody who does wash. Okay. Like you almost need like a broker. Who's got the best wash? Like put it on an auction. <laughs> yeah. Like it. But also um, maybe who's got the best watch wash is informed by rating levels like TripAdvisor or whatever, yes. like Google, Yelp. you know? Yeah. So like people <laughs> who've given feedback, they get stars. And so you can see like, I don't know, WFP's food security is better than whoever else is because they've got five stars. Yeah. I think this um, whole shop approach is probably the best alternative humanitarian development peace system I've ever heard of. So this is what I do. Idea machine. Um, you know, TM that shit and yeah. then start selling it to the UK government. I'd be very happy to be like a broker for this stuff where yeah. like you get all the donors lining up and I'll be like, well, what, what do you got? Yeah. <laughs> Tell me what you got. Yeah. How long? I how love long the do reverse. Your, how long do your boreholes last? You know, I say, show me your fucking data. Let me see. I want to see what you've done. Show me your resume. Do you have any references from other communities? Okay. And I go back to the community and say, look, this is what people are saying. I've got these six options here. Who's sexy to you? I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> it's totally role reversal. And that is exactly probably what needs to happen. Yeah. Um, but you know what would probably happen? Every community would be like, got this? Fuck off. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We don't need these people. And and wait, don't tell me. They'd be out of a job. <laughs> oh, no. Sad, 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 sad. 
Anyway, okay. Um, so a couple of things just to say, maybe in terms of how people are approaching this in general. Right. So a lot of people are talking about resilience as kind of that core piece. We want to see resilience in the community and that's kind of the impact they're going for. Conflict sensitivity is often a starting point we found in terms of bringing in elements of peace building and applying conflict sensitivity across all areas of their programming. If you want to know what conflict sensitivity is, check out those episodes that we did on conflict sensitivity. But in essence, conflict sensitivity is about understanding your relationship to other social dynamics that exist in a space and doing anything you can to not exacerbate conflict. So you're being mindful of it through context analyses and a bunch of other stuff. You're generating an awareness of what's happening. And then you're also generating awareness of like how you situate within those dynamics. Very nice. We've seen an example with the Durable Peace Program, uh, which was actually the European Union's pilot nexus program. Yep. They had two pilot programs, one in Myanmar, one in Somalia. We evaluated the one in Myanmar. Mm-hmm. Well, the contract was held by Oxfam, but there were 30 plus civil society organizations uh, delivering it in northern Myanmar. And that was, yeah, as I said, very much focused on this durable peace target. And they were approaching it without silos, really. Civil society organizations were coming together with their different skill sets and thematic areas. So preventing gender-based violence. Some were focused on livelihoods, some microfinance. So within that response pool, if you like, there was a, a variety of delivery partners. Yeah. With Oxfam being the silent contract holder to a large extent. Um, so that was a really... Uh, they did a lot of the admin. And maybe that's what they should be doing. <laughs> we found like a lot of like successful pieces there. But I think often the problem is that structural piece. Um, it was around the time of political upheaval back in February 2021. So I believe that like there were structural uh, issues that meant that the longer term transformative change wasn't as visible. Yeah. So I think this is a, also the point in terms of like when you're applying Nexus process, the context and that bigger picture will always have a factor in what change is possible. Anyway, that was just a, I'm just giving an example of how an organization was approaching it. That one was an interesting one though, because if we're collapsing all of the silos, what's the ambition? Because it's like a nexus program, but it's a, called the Durable Peace Program, whereas peace is... There's no more peace, right? Everything's just in in the mix. What would you have renamed that program? Because even in that program, we found that peace was a quite a complicated. But maybe, but is peace not the end goal? It's a component of and the goal. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I would have renamed it like stability, happy. I mean, I think it might be like pieces in peace programming, but then pieces in like a concept that people live. Like if you're at peace... Peace programming and then like you live at peace. <laughs> but why isn't it like the durable joy program? Durable joy. <laughs> That's so cute. <laughs> I want a program called Durable Joy. <laughs> that is the name of this episode. Okay. <laughs> durable Joy. <laughs> TM, TM, trademark. I want to do something with that. Okay. Durable Joy. <laughs> okay, happy days. Cool. Uh, perhaps another interesting example is like Trocare also started to frame Nexus programming or we saw it more visibly around uh, preventing gender-based violence and women's empowerment as often situating across like humanitarian development programming and they're coming together. So responding to the needs of women uh, rather than those being treated across the silos. I mean, I think what we've understood from a lot of, I mean, there's a fair amount of literature on this, that the equality, empowerment and safety of women and girls unlocks everything else. Yeah, 
I think that's a good point. So I think it's a good way of addressing it, right? Like if you've got more women, I mean, the 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 assumption being that if women are safe, empowered to make choices about their bodies and their lives, then the other stuff fixes itself, but a little bit. Yeah. It's why in some uh, cash-based programming, they just give the money to the women. But cash-based programming also, it often comes up in Nexus as kind of like a core, like it doesn't situate in a silo. It's like you need cash for whatever. Here's cash. This is what I'm saying. Donor bucks. Yes. There we go. (laughs) Perhaps in terms of like moving forward, we've ourselves seen a bit of an evolution of the Nexus in terms of how people are approaching it. Yes. And donors taking on board, as I mentioned earlier. But I think there's still a gap and there are some things in terms of our evaluations, for example, like, is it working? What's really changing? And there's still this kind of like, okay, if we're moving to Nexus programming, how do we know this is actually effective or not? And people are doing evaluations and there are like people looking at the impact of it, but People are doing more evaluations so that they don't have to actually do anything. (laughs) Yeah. But I think what's missing in this entire Nexus conversation is an acknowledgement that you cannot do it alone. And I think that is what's missing for me. So an organization coming forward and saying, you know what, we can't do this ourselves. Right. That is, I just want to see somebody say that. I want a paper. I want something. And I want it to be the headline. We cannot do this alone because if the nexus is about addressing root causes, no single non-governmental organization can address root causes. Nobody, no group of non-governmental organizations can address root causes. So it just has to be this, like, we cannot address root causes. Therefore, open the door for what can. I think we should write a paper that goes from like, that is talking about the fact that we need to get rid of this concept of like individual added value and moving towards collective added value. Because every organization we've done Nexus stuff with, they've been like, what is our added value? What is our Nexus approach? This is going to be our Nexus. It's ours. It's so sexy. We're going to give it to our donors. Everybody wants to give it to their donors. Look at our Nexus. Durable Joy. Is this paper going to be called Durable Joy? Durable Joy. <laughs> but, the, but it isn't about my added value. It's about our collective added value. What do we as an entity, as a collection of organizations, bring into a space? That's the added value. If I were to tell any organization, in fairness, I have told organizations this, but they just don't listen to it. It is not about your added value as an individual to deliver the nexus. If you want to think about your added value, it's your ability to convene. Can you bring people together? Can you bring shared visions to to life? Are you a connecting organization, even if it means you step to the side and you aren't a conduit for funds? Can you let money bypass you to go to the spaces where it needs to go because you're bringing people together and you're addressing people's needs in a human-centered approach? Boom. We're writing this paper because this paper is 100% needed. And I'm LinkedIn, I can see this paper right now. The other day I was like, do we really know anything about the Nexus? And now I'm like, we're amazing. (laughs) Oh, sorry. One other thing I just want to say is that our company, Ordea and Y Consulting, promotes feminist principles. And we look at feminist principles in the Nexus approach. Um, Action Aid also does this. So I came across an article (laughs) called Nexus Through a Feminist Lens. Sexy. And I was like, yes, I'm with you. I'm with you. Oh, you're not going to talk about it? No. (laughs) (laughs) Because feminist principles talks about power and positionality. And so I think if you're taking a feminist lens to the Nexus, you're acknowledging that there are three silos and they come with their own power structure. Structures and those just need to be dismantled. But also you need to dismantle the power that you have as an organization. To say that you're doing Nexus Feminist Principles. No, I mean, say <laughs> you're doing 
feminist nexus principles. I don't really care too much about what you're saying, but also recognize like what that means in that space. So when people say I'm doing the nexus, what it looks like when you're doing the nexus sometimes means you're not doing anything and that you're happy with that. You know what I mean? Like that's that's key. I think that's really key. Yeah. A nexus approach could be like that you're doing not doing anything because you don't need to be there. Yeah. Holy shit. We've just like totally changed the sector at this episode. I feel so enlightened. Okay, good. But don't uh, don't get too excited about it. We need to keep some of our we haven't given value all- add. <laughs> we need to keep some of our value add because we've got a client who's paying us to to learn from this approach. We don't want to make it so they can just listen to this episode. I think we should leave it there because we're dropping a lot of really solid ideas in this space. I agree. So if you need a Nexus consultant, you know where we are. <laughs> jokes. JRNYconsulting.com. Not um, jokes. Actual. <laughs> and this has been a really interesting conversation. Yeah. Um, so. Look, your eyes are so big and alive and bright. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, let us know what you think. Um, drop us a message and look out for some Nexus blogs soon. Do you have any lessons? Lessons, lessons, lessons. I'm just practicing some ideas for trends. <laughs> this week, I learned that people are so open to and willing to connect about pretty much anything. I think that like I've gone from a space of, okay, who do I want to work with, you know, in this company? Like who's around, who has what skills, like who could be fun to like, oh, wow. Like people are really willing to connect about many things and just have conversations and chat and share like experiences. And so I think sometimes, you know, going from like working in an organization and feeling like your organization is it to coming out as a consultant and starting your company and realizing like people are out there and want to just talk and connect about your company, about monitoring and evaluation, about knowledge, you know, the willingness and the, the, you know, openness to connect about stuff. I find, you know, I've learned this week is there. That's my just very small lesson this week. Very nice. Okay. What about you? I think similarly to the conversation that we're having around Nexus, I've learned that I don't actually have to, I may not be the person who's best situated to do something, or we may might not be the people who are best situated to do something. I'm thinking about a current dilemma that we've got with with a piece of work that we're dealing with. And, and I felt for a long time that we had to be the ones to untangle the problem. Mm -hmm. But what I realized is that we don't need to, Mm -hmm. because we're not the ones who are best placed to untangle the problem. And it's about providing support into the space so that we're here and that we're present and that we're available and we're accommodating, but perhaps it isn't us that needs to do it. And I think there's a lot of relief that comes into that. There's a lot of like pressure that comes off. So thinking about just reflecting on this nexus conversation is that like sometimes you're not the one and that can be a good thing, right? Because what it's done is it's enabled us to be able to focus on like other things and things that are more important because we're recognizing like we're knowing where our biggest contributions sit and where we should be focusing. And I think that's quite, um, that's been a really good lesson for me. And it's been hard to let go of things because I enjoy seeing the outcomes that I envision, which is a sexy way of saying I like control and power. But it's also nice to know where I can put my efforts and know that it's going to have like the greatest opportunity to thrive. Great lesson. Thank you. And very relevant. (laughs) 
<laughs> to uh, letting go. And that was our segment on lessons learned. A good sailor never learned a lesson in calm seas. Hey, I love it. <laughs> Thank you, Captain Lee. <laughs> Thank you, Captain Lee. <laughs> and I think that's it from us today. Yeah. That's it. Um, Thank you very much for listening, everyone. Indeed. I'm Lauren. I'm Tia. And this is the journey to transformation. It most certainly is. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Journey to Transformation. Leave us a five-star rating and a written review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Journey to Transformation is written and edited by us, Tia Rogers and Lauren Burrows. Our music comes from Praz Canal.